An incumbent from Arizona is heading back to Washington. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. The Fox News decision desk has projected that Senate Democrat Mark Kelly has won re-election, defeating Republican Blake Masters. Kelly campaigning on border security, abortion rights, and vowing to address the drought in the state. The former Navy pilot and NASA astronaut also promoting himself as someone who reaches across the political aisle to solve problems. Fox's Kristen Goodwin still undecided in Arizona, the governor's race between Democrat Katie Hobbs and Republican Carrie Lake. In neighboring Nevada, the Democratic governor has lost his job. The Fox News decision desk has projected that Republican Joe Lombardo has unseated Steve Sisolak. Also in Nevada, a razor-thin Senate race that has yet to be decided. The counting continues most significantly in Washoe County in northern Nevada and Democrat-heavy Clark County in the south, where 75% of Nevadans live. That's also where Democratic incumbent Catherine Cortez Masto has significantly cut into Republican Adam Laxalt's lead. Fox's Sean Langell, the balance of power in both the Senate and the House remains up for grabs. After attending a U.N. climate summit in Egypt, President Biden has moved on to Cambodia for a conference of Southeast Asian nations. After that, it's off to Indonesia for a face-to-face -face meeting with China's president, his first since taking office. The president views this as not the end of the line, but rather the start of a series of engagements that will also include further leader-to-leader -leader meetings uh, down the road. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. In southern China, an outbreak of COVID-19 is forcing nearly 2 million people to stay home today. America's listening to Fox News. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. There is always someone doing something stupid somewhere. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Join me, Jason Chaffetz, every Wednesday as I shed light on the news and make some predictions along the way. You never know who will drop in. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Connect to Fox News Audio and the Fox News app. Listen to hear your favorite hosts like Brian Kilmeade, Jimmy Fallon, and Guy Benson standing up for what's right live and via podcast. Just click listen, then swipe right and hear the latest news updates on your time. And scroll down to hear the latest podcasts from Fox News. And it's even easier to listen in the car with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Get programming alerts and notifications. Fox News Audio is on the Fox News app. The Voices America Trusts. Downloaded now. There's still a lot up in the air following Tuesday's midterm elections, and the uncertainty could put a wrinkle in the leadership elections of congressional Republicans. Senate Republicans are supposed to elect their leaders next week, widely expected to result in another term for Mitch McConnell as GOP leader. But Florida Republican Marco Rubio says a vote should be postponed to make sure those who want to lead are genuinely committed to fighting for the values of working Americans. His statement was endorsed by Missouri Republican Josh Hawley, who suggests holding a vote after Georgia's runoff Senate election on December 6th. Jared Halpern, Fox News. Despite the opposition, top Senate Republicans say the elections will be held as planned. Senate Democrats plan to hold their elections the week of December 5th. Conservative Republicans in the House have also called for an election delay. As for leadership of the entire Republican Party, one powerful GOP lawmaker has thrown her support behind former President Trump, who hasn't even announced another run for the White House. The number three ranking House Republican, Elise Stefanik, says she's proud to back the former president in a 2024 race and calls on other members of her party to unite around, quote, the most popular Republican in America. Her views are not shared by many Republicans who blame Trump for GOP setbacks in the midterm elections. Other Republicans are calling on the party to move on from the Trump era. Fox's Kathleen Maloney. Two more counties in eastern Oregon have voted in favor of joining Idaho. Supporters of the Greater Idaho Movement live in rural conservative counties. One farmer tells the Associated Press it's about values, not politics. If the two states negotiate a border adjustment, Congress would have to sign off on it in addition to both state legislatures. Pam Puso, Fox News. 
the WFMD Reynolds Team News Center. DebbieHasTheBuyers.com. This is WFMD News. Maryland U.S. Representative David Trone was re-elected, defeating Republican Neil Parrott in a rematch that was much closer this time due to changes in the Western Maryland District's boundaries. Trone is a Democrat, and he won a third term to the state's 6th Congressional District after it was redrawn with fewer Democrats than under the state's previous congressional map due to a successful court challenge by the GOP. Trone's victory preserves the 7-to-1 advantage Maryland Democrats hold over Republicans in the state's delegation to the U.S. House. A Maryland judge ruled this year that the state's congressional map approved in December after the latest census was unconstitutional because of partisan gerrymandering. I'm Kevin McManus on Mid-Maryland's Radio News Center, 930 WFMD. The 930 WFMD Skyscan forecast for Frederick and surrounding counties. We'll see increasing clouds today with a high near 66, and there is a slight chance of showers after 4 in the afternoon. For tonight, a chance of showers mainly between 7 p.m. and 1 a.m., otherwise mostly cloudy with a low around 39, a sunny day on Sunday with a high, though, only reaching 49. The forecast, a service of PJ's Roofing. When it comes to your roof, they've got you covered at pjsroofing.com. The award-winning Your Financial Editor Program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor Program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, you can go to Apple Podcasts and grab it there. I am Chris Murray, your host. So good to have you along. Hope your weekend's going well. Uh, you and your family are well. Uh, happy Veterans Day to all the veterans out there uh, that are listening. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and uh, God bless you. Good program for you today. We're going to be uh, talking about some interesting top stories, economic data. It was really a jam-packed week, a lot going on this week. Uh, so we're going to get to that information, and then we're going to be talking about a very important subject uh, and issue when it comes to retirement planning and retirement in general, and that is what is long-term care? Who needs it? What benefits does it provide? How does it help retirees? Those types of things. So we're going to dive into that. We've got some interesting uh, statistics and study and white paper material that we'll be able to share with you in just a little bit on that. So stay tuned. Um, a unit of Walgreens, as far as uh, getting things kicked off, we'll do it with a big deal this week. Uh, this uh unit struck a deal to combine with a big owner of medical practices and urgent care centers in a transaction worth roughly $9 billion when I looked at the debt included. So this is a latest string of acquisitions by big consumer-focused companies aiming to delve deeper into medical care. The drugstore giant's primary care center subsidiary, which is known as Village Practice Management, agreed to acquire Summit Health. That's the parent company of City MD, their urgent care centers. So, um, you know, also you see the health insurer Cigna is investing in the combined company through one of their units. So Summit Health, which is backed by private equity firm uh, Warbird Pincus, has more than 370 locations in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and out in uh, Central Oregon. So um, this village practice management provides care for patients at freestanding practices as well as at Walgreens locations virtually and in the home. So, um, you know, we saw just not too long ago, back in the middle of summer, Amazon.com agreed to buy uh, a primary care operator called uh, One Life Healthcare for about $4 billion dollars. And then uh, in September, CVS, we talked about it here, struck a deal to acquire the home health care company Signify Healthcare for about $8 billion. So you see a lot of activity uh, in this space. And uh, this week was just another example of that. Something that was really crazy this week, oh, along with the uh, fact, of course, that um, you have some states that still don't know how to count ballots and have a transparent uh, election. How in the world can uh, Florida have 22 plus million people 
and have all of their uh, work done at the end of the night. And you go out to Arizona with whatever, six or seven million, and it takes them, you know, forever. I mean, it just stinks to high heaven, but I digress. Um, What I was getting at before I went on that tangent is we saw something really bizarre this week. Sam Bankman Freed, he's the CEO of the crypto exchange uh, FTX. Uh, He was considered by Democrats to be the newest mega donor ahead of the elections that we just went through this week. Um, But what happened is, and the guy's only like 30 years old, but we saw that around $6 billion of withdrawals happened at the exchange, the crypto exchange, within 72 hours before Tuesday morning. And that forced him to try to unload the company to his biggest rival on Election Day. So um, one of his big competitors, uh, Shengping Zhao, uh, he's the uh, owner of Binance. And um, he was saying, look, you know, we'll do a non-bonding agreement uh, to buy your company to try to help you with this liquidity crunch. Um, but uh, it looks like that's falling through. There's nothing, you know, looking really good for this uh, freed guy. Like I said, he's 30 years old. He was the second biggest individual Democratic donor this election cycle. Guess who he was behind? The only person he was behind, George Soros. So this guy, he spent just shy of $40 million in this cycle alone. And it was for Democrats, almost $40 million. And in August, uh, Politico, if you care about what they say, but they championed uh, championed this uh, freed guy as a potential Democratic savior. And um, he had hired a network of political operatives and spent tens of millions more shaping the Democratic, uh, Democratic House primaries. And then this happens. So... You know, like I said, you've got Soros. He had $128 million that we know about that went into uh, this race. Bloomberg, I don't know what he spent, but I know last election, the 2020, he uh, poured $100 million down the drain because he put it all in Pennsylvania, and, of course, they lost there. Zuckerberg, who knows? You know, he's trying to stay out of the uh, the, the the light right now. Um, he feels like a little cockroach because of what he did during the 2020 uh, elections along. But would he put some four hundred million dollars into it, into the so many of the cities that came into question and they were putting up posters on the windows so you couldn't watch them count because, of course, they weren't doing it the right way. Um, and now you got this clown uh, who put in just shy of $40 million for Democrats, and he lost 94% of his wealth in one day. So, um, you know, as I always like to think, there's nothing better than seeing a fool separated from his money. And you saw a whole lot of this uh, as the uh, House took control, or excuse me, uh, conservatives took control of the House this week. Not sure how the Senate's going to work out, but at least the House has the, uh, the, the power of the purse. So hopefully they can undo the stupid uh, as much as the stupid spending that was done recently uh, and earlier this year, like the 80 billion dollars to hire 87,000 IRS agents and all the other nonsense. And really, it would just be nice to know where all that money's going. I mean, I know in the last piece, they had like 500 million to try to prop up Obamacare and all this other stuff. Um, How that uh, fights inflation, which is, of course, what they keep saying uh, you know, I'll have a hard time being convinced of that for sure. So also what we saw this week, Pfizer, I just, you know, talked about these um, these uh, pharmaceutical uh, medical companies. Pfizer is looking to raise the price of the COVID-19 vaccines uh, by up to four times. So once Washington's purchase program, i.e. your taxpayer money, ends then um, the company's president, Angela Lucan, is saying, yeah, we're going to have higher prices. So not only have you already paid for something, whether you want it to or not, uh, all the vaccines and all the nonsense that's been pushed out, but now they're saying that once the federal government uh, ends 
this public health emergency, which it should have already expired because it's been gone since the very beginning of this year, if not before. But the federal government, they're paying you. I have to keep reminding myself, you and me. We're paying $30 a dose for Pfizer's vaccine. So once this uh, government program ends, then Pfizer's going to jack it up to 110 to $130 a dose. So this is your perfect example. Of, it's funny because Democrats used to hate Big Pharma. Now they're locked. You know, they're arm in arm. They're locked together with all of this nonsense and all of this, uh, th- these, these dirty deeds, if you will. Because what Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson and everybody else wants out of this is a patient for life. So they want you to have to get a vaccine. They want you to have to get a, a booster. And that's why so many people are so sick of it, because they've done that and they're still getting sick. So they're paying for negative results. So they'll get these people, if they can, as patients for life. How about that steady income of cash for them? It's no different than what they're doing with the uh, transgender abuse. That's who's behind it. I mean, there's a lot of sick minds and soulless people behind it, including Biden, who publicly pushes it, pushes it. But these pharmaceutical companies money is behind it because again once these kids do this then these pharmaceutical companies have a they've created a patient for life and like i said it's just such a soulless way to earn money but um that's what we're seeing and that's what we saw this week so we know how bad inflation is and we'll get to that in just a little bit we got a cpi report this week we know how bad it is, even though people are twisting and turning the, the, the narrative and providing, um, what do I say, misinformation or lies. You know, take your choice. But we know as individuals and caring about our families and our friends and our coworkers and just other people in the country, what folks are going through. Here's one good example I saw this week. Credit card and personal loan balances have reached record highs as an increasing number of consumers lean on such means to combat the growing financial pressures caused by this sky-high inflation. So you want to go on TV and try to act like you're taking a victory lap when all of this pain and suffering is happening? I mean, you can do it, and you did do it this week, but shame on you. According to TransUnion's quarterly credit industry insights report that I saw this week, bank card balances rose 19% during the third quarter from a year ago, reaching $866 billion. At the same time, private credit lines have reached record highs. The increase is caused by all of these economic challenges, the high inflation. Now we've got the higher interest rates because the Fed was so late to the party on inflation with, in all their wisdom, calling it transitory and um, everything else. But overall, the number of credit cards issued over the third quarter rose from 474 million to 510 million and the average credit card debt per, per borrower also went up this isn't because people want to buy um something fancy that they saw in the window when they walk by the store this isn't because people want to go on some fancy vacation and they're putting it on their credit card or taking a new one out this is necessities day to day living And how the poor, those on fixed income, the single moms, and to tell you the truth with statistics, even uh, households making over $100,000 are suffering. Who's not suffering are the elite, 
who don't know how to put gas in their car because somebody does it for them. Or like all these uh, goofballs over in Davos talking about climate change as hundreds and hundreds of private jets fly in. You would think they would jet pool, right? Nope. I mean, we would carpool if we need to save some money, but obviously they don't need to save money. They don't care about that. They know it's a false narrative, but I tell you what, they've got a hold of it tight, and they're pushing it, and all the corruption and the money and the power that goes along with it. So they don't, like I said, they don't understand what it's like to go up and down the grocery aisle and um, whether you want to or not be forced into generic or just eating less, driving less putting off some screening for a health care issue because it's got a copay associated with it. I mean, people are making life and death decisions every single day. And these progressives make fun of it. They make fun of it, just like they're making fun of it with crime. Clinton this week or last week, whatever it was, saying, laughing about um, handing out billy clubs and baseball bats at the subways in New York City, like that, you know, like there was nothing wrong. I guess when you got these people getting pushed in front of a, a running train or stabbed or beat or hit over the head with something, I, I, I don't know. I maybe you think he's right. I mean, some people think he's right and they believe him. I mean, I think he's an idiot for saying that, especially to people who have lost loved ones, but that's the world they live in versus. All of us who live in the real world and are happy to do it, we just, um, we're getting sick of the way we're being treated, for sure. Um, The whole energy thing actually is really, really, um, it's snowballing. So the Biden administration, their attacks on the energy industry is a main driver behind the impending diesel crisis in the United States. So the the administration and progressives and Democrats have demonized fossil fuels uh, and energy policies that are that they have that are marketed as being green are behind this nationwide diesel and heating oil shortages that we have. Um, According to Combined Energy Services, um, the you know these executives that that are worried about what's going on in the Northeast and the Southeast are really hitting the the worry siren. I mean, U.S. diesel reserves are at their lowest level since 1951. That's scary. We have a 25 day supply of diesel well below a comfortable buffer for the fuel markets. At least seven states are code red level right now. Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee. So this is a a perfect example a real-life example to tell politicians and appointed people to go pound sand. They need to do what's right, what's safe, and smart for you and your family. You're owed that. Not, you know, down the street, $6 a gallon for diesel fuel. Because, look, all right, you don't have a diesel vehicle, good. Uh, oh, you have a an electric vehicle, good. That's good Good for you. It's free country if you want to drive a, an electric vehicle. Good for you. But guess what? Everything that's coming to you, a trucker brought it to you. Now, what do truckers rely on to move product across the entire country? Diesel. So it's going to impact you. So, you know, if you're going to go high and mighty about, you have a certain electric vehicle, that's great, but I don't think you should brag about it because you're not thinking the whole thing through. Much less the environmental damage that had to be done to create that 1,000-pound electric battery. But I'm sure you'll, you know, 
There's people out there that, with a little help, can think through that the right way. Two of the nation's most prominent oil industry groups slam Biden for his comments this week, vowing uh, that there'll be no new fossil fuel drilling. I don't know if he forgot he was standing before a microphone and cameras or not. He was, like, leaning over talking to this person that was, um, I mean, I don't know why they weren't at work, but they were there saying, hey, you've got to stop uh, with uh, traditional energy. And his response was, no more drilling. Um, There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new drilling. Now, that wasn't Fetterman. That was Biden. No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new drilling. That was his response. And then we know, we've talked here on the program about the uh, Secretary of the Interior has opened the door to block all drilling in federal waters. Oh, did I say federal? That's your waters. Through 2028. So, um, again, this is all evil. It's all intentional. And... um, They're directly responsible for all of these high gas prices, rising home heating costs, uh, high grocery prices that are crushing every American almost, except for these elitist and uh, deniers, every day. Um, And it's really, really a shame. And that's before we get into the the jobs part. I'm going to take a quick break, actually, and stick with this subject matter because there's some more stuff that happened in the energy sector this week that I think you'll like. I woke up on the wrong side of the truck bed this morning with a bone dry bottle of Jack I was pouring. Damn, she got some nerve when she kicked me to the curb. Guess you could say I got what I deserve as I woke up on the wrong side. Don't touch that dial. You might miss something big. Free Talk 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and grab it there. Um, So sticking with that energy uh, subject that I was talking about, we also um, saw big pushback from uh, coal miners and industry groups representing that profession. Um, basically just a day or two after Biden said he pledged to shut down coal plants and replace them with wind and solar. So um, he said uh, we're going to be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar power. Obviously, he doesn't even know what that means. I'm sure he couldn't explain it, but nobody uh, is allowed to ask him that. Um, He's saying that it's cheaper to generate electricity from wind and solar than it is from coal and oil Um, literally cheaper, not a joke, he said. Again, that was him, not Fetterman. Um, And he said that, uh, you know, that he's going to make all these things, whether people want them or not. And then you have uh, uh, workers like from West Virginia coal miners that are saying that this is horrible. Uh, The administration is trying to destroy the country with these uh, thoughts on Green New Deal stuff being the wave on the uh, wave of the future. Um, we don't have the infrastructure in place to handle that, I saw one guy said, which was totally true. Um, and with the abundance of coal in this country and the way that they've changed um, how companies burn coal cleaner, um, it, that pretty much you know, takes care of a lot of the things that they complain about or allege even, um, I should say, because they're talking about things warming up. But they won't tell you about how they're measuring it. Are they using... Um, Land measurements, satellite measurements, time frame. In other words, they go from the coolest temperature they could find on record to where we are now. That would be convenient. Um, but in 2021, I didn't know this. I looked into this. In 2021, coal power generated about 22% of the nation's total electricity output. That's more than wind, solar, and hydro combined. And he's saying in the snap of a finger... They're going to replace it. I'm telling you, the more 
you know when the more educated you are on this subject matter, the more frustrated you get, um, which is a good thing because, number one, it means we are more informed. And uh, number two, unlike a lot of people, we don't have our heads in the, uh, in the sand and uh, we're in the game. And it's not just these coal miners and whatnot. I mean, there's a, a lot of harm being done to farmers across the globe in this same way, talking about the green whatever or environmental or um, whatever you want to, Greta Thunberg or whatever you want to say. You know, I've talked about it here before. The Securities and Exchange Commission proposed a new environmental, social, and governance ESG rule that mandates small farms disclose climate-related information if they wish to do business with public companies. And then they just pull some fancy name, what they call it, as enhanced and standardization of climate-related disclosures for investors. Now, I'm no expert, but I don't think that's what the Securities and Exchange Commission is supposed to be doing. And that's why more than 100 conservatives on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the aisle, in the House of Representatives, sent a letter to the chairman of the SEC saying, look, you've overstepped your bounds. This is going to have a devastating effect on our farmers, especially small farmers. You know how hard it is for a small farmer to try to get in with a big public company? And if they do, now you're going to price them out of the market because of um, illegitimate regulations and compliance issues plus the higher food costs, right? Because if it's costing these farmers more to operate, they're going to pass it on. I, these, these things make no sense whatsoever. Um, but it's, it's happening everywhere in the government. We all see it. We know it. It's obvious. And, um, but yet it continues to keep happening. And the government keeps getting bigger. All these spending plans that we've seen the last year and a half. Bigger government. We need smaller government. We need less regulation, less taxes, uh, less red tape. That's what the country needs, not what what we're seeing here is just the opposite, which is really a shame. All right, some uh, economic data on the other side of this news break. And then also, as I mentioned at the top of the program, what is long-term care? Who needs it? What's it include? How much does it cost? What's the likelihood that you're going to need it? These are extremely important questions for people in or near retirement. And I've got some good uh, statistics for you. Hey, kid, let me introduce myself as a friend of you. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for being with us this weekend. Again, uh, happy Veterans Day to all of our uh, veterans out there. And thank you very, very much. God bless you and your families. Um, So when we talk about uh, the economy, um, a good bit of information, data came out this week. Uh, One wasn't a big surprise, but it's sad to see. Small businesses continue to feel the impacts of inflation. And uh, they've also continued to struggle to find adequate workers to fill their job openings. So according to the National Federation of Independent Business, 33% of small business owners cited inflation as their most important problem in October. Uh, That number is three points higher than it was in September. So it actually got worse. And also the NFIB Small Business Optimism Index dropped eight-tenths of one percent in October, marking the 10th consecutive month that it's remained under the 49-year average. So according to uh, 
Bill Dunkelberg, who's their chief economist, he's been on the program before, he was just saying once again, owners continue to show a dismal view about future sales growth and business conditions and that small business owners expecting better business conditions over the next six months, that also dropped by two points according to the NFIB uh, data. So, you know, last week we talked about a lot actually about um, the layoffs and hiring freezes and all the other stuff. We got more of that this week with, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter and and others. And it, they're saying that that's going to gain steam as we get into 2023. So you already see this pessimism with the small business owners out there who always have it hard, you know, and that, that's why I respect them so much and appreciate them and try to support them if I can. Um, but when the virus made its way here and you start picking winners and losers and that stupid essential, non-essential, uh, they've really been upside down for, you know, three years now. And then all of a sudden you dump inflation on them. It's, uh, it's really, really tough, to say the least. And talking about inflation, we got the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, this week. And um, it dropped a little bit in October, which, of course, is always good to see. So the headline number came in at 7.7% on an annual basis. So what they're saying is prices climbed. 7.7% from October of 2021 to October of 2022. And that 7.7% was lower than the 8% headline figure that uh, um, a lot of economists were looking for. So that was the good news. The bad news is it was 7.7%. And the other part of that is it spurred this conversation because we're in November about Thanksgiving and how much Thanksgiving dinner is going to cost, how much more this year. Obviously, if you're up 7.7%, what about every meal for the last year and a half as prices have been going up? How about every gallon of gas the last year and a half? And this 7.7%, oh, by the way, gas is up 68, 68% year over year. So the headline number, like I said, it, it it's a good, you know, it was a positive, but it, it's nothing to get excited about. There's so much more work to be done. What about milk, butter, bread, fish, whatever? You, you pick it and you look at the inflation from October to October. And we're not just going to eat one time this month, at least I'm not, for Thanksgiving dinner. I'm going to eat all the time because I have to. But see, there's people that literally are suffering and struggling because of this, uh, this subject. And it's, it's so infuriating because it's self-imposed. Because the people that say they're in charge really aren't in charge they, you know, they have either no experience in the real world or uh, very limited or poor experience in the real world. And that's how you end up with this, this entire economic financial situation that we're in. We also saw initial jobless claims go up by 7,000 from the previous week. I had mentioned, you know, just this week alone, Facebook and Twitter and Salesforce and and others, many, many others, are laying off. Um, our one son lives in Charlotte. I was talking to him. Uh, he called me a couple days ago, and they came in. Luckily, you know, he's protected, but they came in, wiped out 100 people from his office. Um, so it's, uh, it's scary. Then you look at the, the, the mortgage applications out there. Um, they continue to go down last week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, um, both for new homes sales and also for refinancing. They were both down. But, you know, that's what happens when you go from 3% for a 30-year fixed less than a year ago 
to over 7% for that same mortgage. You double it in less than a year. The latest number I saw, 7.14% for a 30-year fixed. A 15-year fixed, 6.4%. So um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really, really hard, really tough out there. We're starting to see, well, certain parts of the housing uh, sector, they're already in recession. Um, you still have people holding on to higher prices, and that's helping. But, again, just think about that ripple. Housing is so important to our economy here in the United States. So if you don't buy a new house, guess what? You don't put new carpet in it. Um, you don't put appliances in it. Or if you don't build it, I should say, which a lot of builders are slowing up. And it's the same if you don't buy a house because most time people buy a house and they're going to go in and do certain things. So they're going to end up at Lowe's or wherever, you know, the, the hardware store down the street so that they can get some things um, updated or remodeled, where, whatever it might be. That's going to stop. They're not going to need a trash can for the end of the lane because now they're not moving. So um, really, really interesting to see how this is all playing out. And it's also, like I said, very frustrating because uh, most of it, I would say 90% of it, we've done to ourselves. Well, we didn't do it, but uh, poor leadership has put us uh, right where we are. So, um, all right, quick break. And then when we come back, what's long-term care? Who needs it? What's it cover? What are the costs? The latest statistics all coming your way. American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize. Catch a fish with a barber, drink a beer out the can, liquor out the bottle, how the good Lord intended it. Yes, he did. I love my country. I love Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. Um, okay, so getting to what I mentioned earlier, long-term care. So this is something – so I've been um, a, a fiduciary and I've been an advisor for, you know, over 30 years and t- have this conversation all the time with uh, with folks when we're doing planning because it's, it's really important uh, to at least have the discussion and look at the numbers of how long-term care could impact – uh, your retirement. So if you're near retirement or in it, listen closely because uh, I've got a lot of statistics, but it's also a lot of good information. Okay. I, myself, I know I lost an uncle to, uh, to, to Alzheimer's. I'm sure 95% of the people listening either have a family member, a friend, um, or have, you know, shared in stories with someone, about this uh, subject. The reason, once people are over age 65, 50-50 chance, basically, that you're going to need some type of long-term care help. So what's long-term care all about? Well, you know, as we get older, it's great, the golden years and everything's going fine, but also there tends to be some uh, things tend tend to wear out a little bit whether it's our bodies and or our minds. So when it comes to long-term care, the way it's defined is by something they call ADLs, activities of daily living. And those activities of daily living include bathing, walking, um, using the restroom, showering, uh, eating, you know, you're able to cook, those kind of things. And of course, not only to do it, but to do it safely for yourself. So you're not a threat or a risk to yourself or anybody in your building or whatever it may be. So generally, if you can't do two of those six ADLs, then that triggers the uh, the long-term care coverage and the help that would be necessary. So some people um, get it in-home, which is the preferred way, because we all know we get better if we're home. And um, 
you look at the, you, you know, right now, when I saw these statistics, 65,600 regulated, these are just the regulated long-term care facilities in the country right now, 65,600. That's according to the National Center for Health Statistics, um, serving well over 8 million residents. So over 286,000 of those are in day-based caregiving, over 811,000 people in assisted living facilities, over 1.3 million in nursing homes. So obviously this is something that is happening every single day. You know, people have these issues themselves, and then obviously it impacts their family members and their involvement. And then you look at um, the money. It's it's extremely expensive, and that's why it ties in. Well, first and foremost, this is a dignity issue. Are you going to be able to take care of yourself with your planning and your funds, or are you going to have to uh, go live with your children, or are you going to be able to, you know, like I said, afford professional uh, care at some type of a facility? Well, like I said, it's very, very expensive. Um, but we're seeing more and more of it because of the baby boomers, because they're living longer. So, like I said, that's the good part. The downside is if uh, if physical or mental health deteriorates and you need these types of, uh, of services. So I just pulled some of the recent costs just for the state of Maryland. They're, and you, they're available. You can get them um, for each individual state. I know we have folks that uh, listen to the program who have moved out of state, and they're listening, listening at WFMD.com or as a podcast. So this is just Maryland. But if you can't find your state information, just drop me an email because I can put my fingers right on it. It's in my conference room. But um, so home health care, you know, you start looking at these these numbers. Um, you have what they call homemaker services. Uh, that's over $5,000 a month. And then they have what's uh, also called a homemaker health aid. That's also $5,000 a month. And then you have adult day health care. That's over $1,900 a month. And again, that would fluctuate depending on how often you go, it's necessary, that type of thing. And then assisted living facilities, private one-bedroom, $4,900 a month. And then when you get into the nursing home care level, a semi private room in the state of Maryland, $10,342 per month. Private room, over $12,000 a month. A month. So then you start looking at statistics. The average entry age is just shy of, and again, these are just averages based on government statistics, uh, just shy of 80 years old, average stay, just shy of, you know, of of four years. It's like 3.7, three years, seven months, something like that is is average. Um, So if you're talking about just pick a number, $9,000 a month, a month for three years. And that's just the average. What if you're there for six or seven or eight? Um, you can see the huge drawdown in your assets, both for you and your spouse. And then, of course, it wipes out your legacy uh, that maybe you were going to leave to your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, to your church, whatever it might be. So once you get like I had mentioned, close to or if you're in retirement, I strongly suggest that you take a hard look at this and address the uh, the potential. Like I said, you could take a coin out and flip it. Once you're over 65, statistically, it's 50-50. You're going to need some type of care. So there's different things you can do. One, you can say, I don't care about it. 
which is fine. It's free country. Uh, two, you can explore your current asset base and wonder if you have enough to self-insure and go through that, whatever, just two or three or $400,000, whatever it might be, um, that it would take to cover that, that wouldn't be left for your children and other family members. Um, or you could look at sharing that risk with long-term care plans and different coverage options. So they're basically the options that you have. I don't care. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I have enough to self-insure. I'm not going to run out of money. And I don't care about not leaving anything. And then the other is, how can I transfer some of this risk somewhere else so that I'm not bearing it all on my own? And there's a lot of good different plans for that these days. They've really improved so that uh, depending if, you know, you're able to get it, if you don't use the money that it costs to cover it, then it just doesn't disappear. But instead, you know, um, beneficiaries would get that money. So some really good planning can be done. Um, we've seen it. Save legacies so that kids, grandkids, church, whoever, your favorite charity gets it versus just burning through it. So there's wonderful things that can be done. I've seen both sides of it. And um, I definitely would go with giving this some attention, making sure this is part of your planning. And um, if we can help in any way, just let me know and uh, be more than happy to help you with that. And um, But it's, it is. It's, it's very uh, important. That's why I brought it up. Okay, happy Veterans Day to everybody. Thanks for listening to the program. I'll be with uh, Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick, 550, 650, 750, weekday mornings, live phone calls, and then uh, back for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com, a service of Holtzapel Heating and Air Conditioning. News Radio 930, WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.